Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. Today I am joined by a very wonderful uh, leader, leader of CFOs, Chief Financial Officers. Uh, I am chatting with Elena Bennett. Uh, she is obsessed with unleashing the power of purpose. Uh, Elena is a speaker, an author, a mentor, a team facilitator and a leadership coach who loves to provoke conversations around issues that matter, or as you'll hear in the interview, issues of the heart. She leads communities of CFOs for CFOs, uh, aspiring CFOs, and leading women in finance. Elena is also the go-to for CFOs or chief financial officers and their teams looking for the next level success. I absolutely loved chatting with Elena today on all things leadership in, uh, I guess, and a role that's now got a bit more of a spotlight on it uh, since the pandemic where, you know, people are tightening their belts a little bit and there's a few more eyes on the bottom line and the budgets, so to speak. And uh, what Elena's noticing now is the, the need for um, some upskilling and some capability development for CFOs for the future. Uh, Elena and I shared a background in finance. So we chatted about that a little bit as well, but I think you'll absolutely love uh, hearing and listening to this discussion with Elena because she is an absolutely immaculate, uh, articulate speaker and I loved every minute of it. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. Today, I am very excited to have the wonderful Elena here with me today. Hello, how are you? Hey, Ellie, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, before we get too far into it, can you uh, share with the listeners a little bit about where you've come from and where you're going? Yes, 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 yes. Because actually, there's a really, um, a really neat tie, I suppose, between the two of those things. Um, I suppose, you know, where I came from, I was one of those people that fell into finance, you know, kind of did the commerce degree because it was the done thing and then fell into big four audit. Um, and so kind of did that usual path audit, did the overseas thing, came back, went into corporate, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera all under that sort of accounting and audit and finance banner. Um, but it was interesting because it was during that time where I really saw and experienced the positive impact that leadership had on performance. Mm. You know, particularly in audit, I was in hundreds and hundreds of teams in any given year, right? And so I had teams that were awful, teams that were awesome in every iteration of that in between. Um, and obviously in that sort of, you know, technical profession, all of the focus is on technical expertise. But it particularly came to a head when I was in the US and I worked for a particular partner in San Francisco who was awesome. Like he was equally as if not smarter than so many of the partners I'd worked with, but he was just a good person that led in a really clear manner, but really engaging manner. And I went and and I would do anything for him, right? And, and he really just focused on, 
making the people feel good so they would do the work. And I kind of went, oh, there's something in this. There's something in this positive leadership. And so that sort of stayed with me um, kind of since. I also, whilst I was over there, started delivering and developing training, advising other engagement teams and all the rest of it. So when I came back to Australia, moved into corporate, I started using the language. Like I started talking about corporate culture and cultural maturity and leadership and development. So that was when I I didn't know it at the time, but I was starting to go, hang on, this could be my thing. Um, I was then sitting in a leadership team at a leadership offsite strategy day and and a facilitator was facilitating the, the day. And I had that kid moment, like that child moment where I went, that's what I want to do when I grow up. Um, And sort of the rest is history. I reached out to him, found out that this whole world existed. Um, And so now I spend my time working primarily with CFOs, aspiring CFOs and their leadership teams, um, helping them um, amplify the impact of their performance, uh, which is is super cool. Yeah, it does sound super cool. And I've got a similar story uh, and, and you know, accidentally fell into finance and, and the rest is history, as they say. But tell me a little bit around, um, you know, working in audit and especially in banking and finance, you're not the most popular kid on the block um, when it comes to auditing. So what do you think was, I guess, the key difference with the person that you were um, mm. working with, the partner in San Fran, that kind of, I guess, bucks that trend on, uh, you know, audit being a bit serious and, yeah. and being a bit more playful at work. Yeah, well, you know what? He had a he had an unfair advantage over most people. He's Irish, so he's just a good guy. <laughs> he loves a laugh. He's very self-deprecating and he loved a beer, right? And so he was just a, he literally just was a normal human being and he could have a laugh with clients and, and his team. And so I think it was that real personable element of himself that there was never any question that he wasn't going to deliver and wasn't as smart as the rest of them. It was just how we sort of packaged it up in that plain English. Um, didn't try to, you know, be too proper. Like mm. if there was a problem, hey, let's just get the right people in the room. Let's have a yarn and let's come up to a, you know, come up with a mutually beneficial solution, mm. um, which is always that which is always possible. But I think there's the perception around sort of the audit being the policeman and there being that this adversarial um, relationship with the, the organisation they're auditing. And so I think it was my watching that firsthand and going, hey, that relationship doesn't need to be adversarial and actually you get better outcomes when there is a better relationship mm. between the, the team, the, the two teams. Mm. Um, and, I, and he sort of brought that attitude into the, into the audit room as well, which was just like, hey, you're all people, do what you want, here to help, you know, I'm happy to get in the trenches with you. He he was very clever in the way he rewarded us. Like he sort of, there was one amazing holiday um, that I wasn't able to take because he asked me to, to, to work on the weekends and all the rest of it. But, you know, he then at the end of that said things like, oh, look, I want I want you to take Cody, my boyfriend, now husband. Um, I want to, you guys to go out for a nice dinner. Just put it on me. I really appreciate the sacrifices you've both made. Like, so he was just very creative and I think just being a decent human being brought that in into the office. Yeah. And I think you touched on something around when you were saying, um, you know, building those relationships, being really vulnerable and authentic in, you know, this is what needs to happen versus the, the, I guess, the idea of suiting up um, when it comes to, to corporate and being, you know, very, very straight, straight edge and uh, no room for deviation. Well, he, I just remembered actually, he picked me up to take me to my client. So because I was an expat, I didn't have my own car. And so he would just come and pick me up from my house on the way to the client and drop me off. Like 
old school, he's the top of the totem pole, you know, you wouldn't really expect them to do that uh, or for me to feel comfortable asking him to do that. But it was just, yeah, yep. really bucking that trend. It was awesome. Yeah, I love a rule breaker. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so tell me a little bit now, um, you work with CFOs, you work with aspiring CFOs and their management team. Yes. What, what drove you to start focusing on CFOs? Uh, I could speak their language. Um, yes. and, and I think it's more than that. My first role out, or my the first consulting work I did when I left corporate was not in finance. And I think what that allowed me to do was it gave me the space to sort of put that piece of my career on pause a little bit, but in doing so, I still was working with very technical left brain people, but it sort of gave me a space from the finance grind that actually what I saw over that 12 months was it sort of, I became more endeared and, and to back to finance. Mm. And I, I think I sort of, it was probably a lot of compassion and empathy was building up in my head around gosh, it is just so hard to be a finance professional these days. It is so hard to be a CFO and, hey, I know I know that world, I can talk the language um, and I've got a really different perspective that I, if I'm working with really smart people, like the people that are excellent at doing the role of CFO and finance leader and all the rest of it, if I can partner with them and help them do their job better through the stuff that I love, which is the leadership skills and non-technical stuff, then that's going to make their lives easier and hopefully um, not only help them excel at work even more but have more fulfilled lives um, overall. So I suppose that's sort of what what made me go back into finance was to be able to utilise all of that skill and, and the education that I had learned to date and really sort of channel that energy and expertise in a different way, provide that different perspective. Um, mm. Because gone are the days where you can get by with just being a technical expert anymore. You've yep. got to have the non-technical, but it's not what people signed up for, right? Yeah. And so it's a little bit unfair to think that, oh, suddenly you have to be an expert in, you know, leadership now or executive presence now, you know. It's, so I go, well, you know what? I love that area. So let me help you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I th and so I think you've hit of... the nail on the head. There are so many leaders these days who are technically great and that's what's got them to where they are, but they're missing that people part. And when we think about, you know, they're now charged with leading the most valuable asset, normally the people part of um, a, an organisation or a business, and it is a completely different skill set. So just yeah. on that topic, have you seen yeah. um, a shift, I guess, in what was traditionally a CFO, so Chief Financial Officer role versus what we're seeing now? Yeah, totally. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's that's where I think it gets really exciting. I sort of talk about a spectrum of from you know from scorekeeper to playmaker. Ooh, um, and so they're they're a little bit left of field terms, but I know that um, that that I sort of have to educate people around what they are. But if you think about a scorekeeper, like a scorekeeper sits on a sideline and just takes score, they just record what happens, you know, on a netball court, on a football field, what have you. They're not very influential around the status quo. Um, playmaker is someone who creates plays. Like they may not be the captain of the team, but they're the one who, um, like the quarterback of an NFL team, or I've just finished a blog about Gary Ablett who plays for the Geelong Cats, right, just manages to create something out of nothing. So I see that as sort of, the real meta shift, but it's sort of if we start to just use a bit more sort of left brain technical language, the the shift is one from you know that real controller, command and control type leader, 
um, you know, the suited up that we were sort of talking about before, um, to then a firefighter, so someone that's just putting out fires like in crisis mode all the time, which I think most CFOs and, and finance leaders find themselves from time to time. But I think that sort of react and respond was very, um, existed a lot, was quite pervasive back in the day. Um, we've then sort of seen that the industry moved towards a need for having trusted advisors and, mm. and business partners. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think in my personal opinion, it makes the job more interesting because you sort of get your hands and head stuck into what the business does mm -hmm. um, and how the businesses serve communities and customers. Mm -hmm. um, but again, what that does is it just increases the skill set required um, yeah. of a CFO, yeah. which, you know, we've got the same amount of time that we did 30 years ago when we could do command and control and just hit people over the head with sticks. Yeah. Suddenly that just comes a bit, becomes a bit harder, particularly if that's not the area that they've been um, trained in. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's rare these days. Well, maybe it's not rare. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. That people that have come um, up that regular career trajectory, career path to a CFO, mm. aren't necessarily looking to build those skill sets. Necessarily, it's around um, building the capability, the technical capability to be able to run um, finances, build build those relationships with the business partners, but not necessarily, I guess, have the leadership thinking or the leadership hat on. Yeah, I think like our generation, I think we've been caught in the middle. So I think what we saw, we were led by command and control. I'm going to hit you over the head if you do something wrong. And below us, so the younger generation are the ones that, are, you know, they're purpose-led, they expect companies to contribute to society, all of that stuff. So I think our generation is stuck in the middle. And so I think what's going on is, um, and, and I'll be really blunt, we just need to let that generation die off, That you know. Um, <laughs> Metaphorically. Or self-select, well, maybe not metaphorically, um, or self-select out of the game. I think what's going on with our generation is that they're asking themselves, they're saying to themselves, I know I want to lead in a certain way, I just don't know how. I just need yeah. the skill set and assistance just to, um, to show me how because I, I, I know at an intellectual level the benefits yep. um, that it can provide, but just that implementation bit becomes yep. the sticking point. Yeah, and lack of role models as well if they're not demonstrating. Oh, 100% that. lack of yep. role models. And, and I think, you know, so it's a really exciting time to be a CFO at the moment. Um, I think last year really put um, CFOs in the spotlight. Yeah, you know, for for the first time, if you were, let's say, a back office um, CFO, you know, suddenly the spotlight was on. Hey, you know, the company needs to survive. Yeah, strategies need to shift. You know, yep. who who are the head? How many people do we need to let go, stand down, or you know, lay off? Um, and so, and also the cash flow, you know, running cash flow forecasts all the time, and figuring out government incentives and all the rest of it. And so, I think if you combine the typical shift, or, or sorry, the the trend of what it means to be a CFO that we've just talked about, that shift from scorekeeper to playmaker, I think you've also got this, you know, as bad as COVID has been and still is, it's put, it's given CFOs the platform to shine. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think how, how exciting is that? Um, and I was speaking with the CFO in preparation for my book and the way she described it is, is she said, I see the CFO as being the arteries of an organisation oh, because they so sort of... Good. Um, permeate and touch every part of an organisation like the heart does for a body. And I just thought, God, what a great metaphor to describe um, the role of a CFO in a finance function in an organisation, yeah. uh, one that, you know, a little bit like audits, not typically valued, um, yeah. yeah, or met with a smile. Or me, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I love that. So CFOs are like the arteries of an organization because they touch on all different areas. Do you think even though this has always been the way and now that it's more highlighted that CFOs, um, I guess, are considered with a little bit more importance or have a, I guess, a closer seat at the table, so to speak? I think so. And I think... Um... I think that's exactly right. But no, you know, more than ever, I think boards and CFO, CEOs want their CFOs to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, another term I use, which is, uh, I suppose, uh, the same sense as being the heart, is CFOs are often seen to be the glue. And I think what that demonstrate is not only do they have that great mandate that sits across the business, so fundamentally can form strategic views and connect dots between functions. But, you know, every finance professional is brought up, like you, like you would know, um, to have a high focus on objectivity um, and integrity. Yeah. And so when you yeah. think about the corporate politics that exists out there, you want that person that's just going to have cut through and can galvan- galvanise people together, not polarise them. And I think, um, you know, boards and CEOs are looking for the CFO to do that, which I think is just so fascinating given that typically, stereotypically, yeah. CFOs are not seen to be people people. Yeah. Yes. Suddenly they are being relied on to bring the people together. Yeah. And, and as someone who loves the people aspect of leadership, that just that excites me to no end. Um, and I think, to be honest, more and more CFOs are coming to me saying I want people leadership to be part of my brand. Yes. And so yeah. I think this is this is the challenge of the broadening remit that we've seen for CFOs over the past, you know, 10, 20, 30 years is the remit grows, which means suddenly opportunities are greater, but what it means is there's variability of expectation in the industry. Yeah. And yeah. so while a board and a CEO might want um, a people-focused CFO, there's probably five other CEOs who don't want that. Yes. And so it right. suddenly creates this, this confusion or uncertainty um, around what does it mean to be a CFO? And so I'm quite often saying, look, if you ask me, like, you know, so many of the jobs today, like if you think about chief marketing officers, chief people, um, chief experience officers, chief customers, you know, customer officers, those roles didn't exist last year. So I sort of say, look, it doesn't matter what your role is, just create the characteristics of the role that you want, create your brand. Um, And as long as you're creating value for the organisation, it doesn't really matter um, what the role is called. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree with that. So what types of things, um, and I think this is a shift for CEOs and boards as well, what kinds of things can the CEOs and boards be doing to support um, CFOs with this transition? You know, historically there was a CFO at an organisation that worked on that control and command and Mm. now, you know, done a 360 perhaps or had a bit of feedback and said, hey, you need to focus on the people part of it. What types of things can the CEOs and boards do to support that new way of leadership? Look, I think it's fundamentally boards and CEOs want outcomes. And so I think, um, and, you know, particularly boards of directors, you know, they're being asked to step up and do more and and, um, exercise, I suppose, a greater level of due diligence over over the the roles that they, the board roles they have. Um, I think it comes down to transparency of vision. I think vision and purpose are probably two of the most, two of the biggest missing elements when it comes to, the performance of CFOs and finance professionals, and I'm not talking about company vision and purpose because most companies do that these days, but it's about how to be transparent around 
the big why that sits behind those things. Um, because as you know, if you think about a corporate hierarchy, messages get dis, um, filtered diluted, and yeah. diluted um, as they get cascaded down. So I think transparency of that to the CFO so the CFO can understand the so what yeah. because without that, they simply will not deliver the outcome. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's more about understanding the why and, and being a little bit less focused on the how because, as we know, if someone's delivering results, no one's really going to care about the how. So I think um, coming back to, you know, what can boards and CEOs do, I think being transparent about the why and then having the trust and creating the environment for trust with the CFO that they will get it done. Mm. Um, and that way it allows the CFO to create their brand, their vision, integrate it and align it with the big corporate vision and just execute it down. Does that make sense? It does, just like that. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned your book earlier and yes, I, did, yes, I yes. did see a little post on socials about it. So tell yes. me more about your second book, baby. Yes, yes, yes. It's called CFO of the Future. Yep. Um, and it's basically um, a trusted guidebook to help CFOs lead with impact and, and create value. Awesome. Um, I've talked a little bit about the challenges that CFOs have in or the challenges and opportunities around expanded remit, change, you know, change in the environment and landscape, et cetera. But I think what that does is it ultimately makes it more difficult for CFOs to know what to do. Um, one of the thing, one of the challenges that they often describe that they have is the spinning plates challenge. You know, yeah. I feel like I'm spinning a million plates, worried that one is going to drop. Yeah. Um, what that is is it's an inability to prioritize and an inability to um, not be confident about around what to focus on and, and um, yeah. really invest energy and impact on. And so, really, what the book is is doing it provides the twelve key skills of the CFO of the future. Really, and and those key skills are you know, 50% technical, 50% non-technical, yeah. um, which is why it's supposed to be that trusted guide, you know, pocketbook type guide that yeah. really helps CFOs know how to dance across all the different types of skills. They don't need to be exceptional at every type of skill because as we've described, not every CFO wants to be a, you know, a great people leader and not every great CFO wants to be a great technical leader, but it's yeah. about knowing how to dance across them, knowing how to bring in the people or expertise if you need it. Um, so that they can do the job. But I suppose my my bigger purpose is about giving them the skills and the tools to do their job, but, but also to be able to give them the insight and the tools to live a life of meaning and purpose. And so ultimately when I think about, you know, the, the term, the concept of a playmaker that I described earlier, I'm thinking about a playmaker as someone who can create plays yeah. for themselves inside and outside of work so that they can live a life of significance and meaning. Mm. Um, and the reason why that is my focus, and I think this is probably what makes me stand out a little bit um, in this finance area, is I've found that a lot of being high achievers, high performers and probably perfectionists, um, finance professionals and CFOs get to a deadline, get to a milestone, and they go, brilliant, ticked it off. Yep. Now what? Yep. And there's this kind of lull or sense of uh, meaningless, I suppose, on the other side of that. And, and what we realized, what I realized is I saw so much of that, I realized there wasn't that, there wasn't any meaning on the other side of the deadline. Yeah. Um, and I realised that was a lack of purpose. And um, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, who's a psychotherapist and concentration camp survivor, um, he talks about that as the um, 
he uses the term existential vacuum. Yeah. So it literally is sitting in a void with no other meaning or purpose. And so, you know, with his lived experience in the concentration camps, what he saw was that those who there was a difference. So those who survived the concentration camps weren't the fittest, smartest or strongest. It was actually those who had a meaning and a purpose to live for versus those that didn't. And so what my work is fundamentally is about is helping CFOs and finance professionals create that meaning for themselves, that life meaning, and yeah. integrate work into that yeah. so that there's not that compartmentalisation, if that's even a word, um, of work and life that actually the two can can live in synergy um, and it just cre- like it creates meaning and I think that's the, that's what unleashes discretionary performance um, yes. at work in the workplace. Yeah, I love that. I totally agree. And I, I'm of the belief as well that we need to, you know, gone are the days where home life was separate to work life. I think if we're not having a good time at home, we're probably having not a great time at, at totally. work. And if we're not having a good yeah. time at work, we're probably not having a good time at home either. And tying in the purpose piece to all of that means that sometimes you can be working on something at work, but it's actually, you know, to fulfill a bigger purpose in your home life. That's it. Yeah, 100%. I love yeah. it. I can't wait for the book to come out. What do you have a date? I do. September 8th will be the first time CFOs get it in their hot little hands. Woohoo! Um, you know, we're, we're obviously in lockdown here at the moment up in New, or over in New South Wales, so I don't know what that means because now we're suddenly dependent on shipping times and things like that. Yes. Uh, but that's, that's the date that's been driving the deadline. Oh, very, amazing. It's very I'll, exciting. I'll pop all the details in the show notes for today as well. Thank you. Yeah, um, what I would love to hear from you now um, is around your top tips for leaders yes 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 and um I, I think it's such a great idea to, to land with this and, and I was really conscious of sharing tips that I do that I use yes um and so it's probably no surprise to think that my first one is know your purpose love it um, as I mentioned I fell into finance and I've had a couple of um moments meltdown moments that perhaps can be a topic of another conversation and what that actually came down to was a crisis of purpose Um, and so now I now I know how purpose not only helps me as an individual but certainly helps me in my performance at work Um, but it's just about being able to find that and not think it's some esoteric intangible never never land um, that that doesn't have any connection to work. So know your purpose is the first one. Um, Create a power base. And what that ultimately is about is about a support network. Ali, you are in my power base. You are part of my support (laughs) (laughs) network. But, you know, particularly, you know, with my clients with CFOs, helping them create communities um, is a really big part of what I do. So I've created a number of different CFO communities um, because I know just, again, coming back to performance and fulfilment, those things can only be um, amplified when you've got good people around you um prioritize you know it is one of the hardest things to do we can do everything just not at the same time is one of my favorite um favorite philosophies of life um obviously the the difficulty of prioritizing is it means you need to say no but I think once you've got a clear sense of purpose it is really it's much easier to say no because you can always understand the why that sits beside the no yeah um create a temporal landmark um, this is not my concept. This is the concept um, developed or shared by Daniel Pink, who is one of is uh, a best-selling author of Drive, the two books Drive and When, the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. So, a temporal landmark is like an intangible line in the sand, where you get to say tomorrow it will be different. So, New Year's Eve is a classic temporal landmark. Yes. A birthday, particularly a milestone birthday, yes. um, 
great temporal landmarks and why they are useful leadership tools. It allows, it gives you a reason, it gives you permission to do something different. Yeah. And so the art of creating a temporal landmark is quite a strategic play, actually. So if you think, if you're someone that wants to think more strategically or lead more strategically, creating temporal landmarks is a really good way to do that. Because you get to say there's a business imperative or a business problem. I am going to create the reason to do to, to solve that or to take action to solve it. And I'll create a temporal landmark to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another great one that I live by. It's like, why should I do this? Oh, because today's the, you know, today's the first day after I've submitted my book to the publisher. And so now I need to reset myself and create some new habits. Um, off the back of it so that's just a sort of live example that's going on for me at the moment yeah um and then the fifth one is create moments of joy um it's a bit of a subset of you know living with purpose but it's something that you know is I think is really important is creating those moments to live for at a really micro level like almost Mm -hmm. on a daily weekly um weekly level I recently found out I was low in dopamine and so one of the um, pieces of advice my coach said to me was you need to create these moments of joy so you've got something to sort of move you along if I don't have that natural dopamine inside of me I need to create it and I think everyone particularly if you're in lockdown and have been for a while now it can be hard to find those moments of joy because you need to create new new ones Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't go out and see our friends anymore. So yeah. I think that's something that I'm being really intentional about at the moment is creating new moments of joy um, yeah. and being creative in the process. Yeah. So those are my five. I love that. Um, and, I, and you know, I'm a huge fan of being a joy seeker, but I think it's exactly, as you say, you need to go looking for it. And then the more you look for joy, the easier it is to find, you know, the reticular activation system kicks in and gives us a little yes. helping hand. But so, yeah, exactly. uh, know your purpose, create a power base, uh, prioritise so you can do everything but not at the same time, uh, create a temporal landmark and uh, create moments of joy. And I think that they are wonderful top five tips. Uh, Elena, if people want to find you, where do you like to hang out most? LinkedIn, Facebook? Oh, that's a great question. I love to hang out in person or on Zooms, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> or on the phone. But, um, you know, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn um, or you can contact me through my website, so alanabennett.com.au um, or on LinkedIn, um, Alana Bennett. I'm not, you know, if I'm being really honest, social media is not my favourite. Uh, I'm not the most comfortable there. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to hook hook Um, you up for a call we reckon yeah I think that's the best way I love to have a chat brilliant well thank you so much for coming on the show today congratulations about your book I can't wait to get a copy once it is in publication awesome thanks so much Ali thank you so much for joining me today if you enjoyed this episode on the made for more podcast please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes and of course five-star reviews are always welcome on the apple podcast if you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast and of course if we aren't connected already you can find me in all the usual places ali nitschke on linkedin ali.madeformore on facebook and instagram i hope you have an awesome week and i'll catch you again soon bye bye